Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Good morning and welcome to Fire in the Belly. This morning we have Gavin Wall here with us from, well, Speed Mentor. Yes, um, from Belfast. Speed Mentor from Belfast, Northern, Northern Ireland. So do you want to introduce yourself, Gavin? Yeah, uh, my name's Gavin Wall. I'm well known in these parts. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Hopefully your, your broadcast will be will go worldwide and they won't have a clue about Northern Ireland and Belfast. But certainly in these parts, I'm reasonably well known. My background's in law. I then went into business about 12 years ago. And ever since then, I have been um, working at trading businesses, then mentoring um, hundreds of uh, other uh, business people across Northern Ireland, yeah. uh, trying to bring my 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 shizzle, uh, my, <laughs> my my blend of high energy, um, goal getting, um, uh, trying to chase down gorilla, what I would call gorilla goals, yeah. and uh, have a number of businesses throughout Belfast employ across them probably over 130 people, wow. and um, the latest project is in venture capital, so mm-hmm. I'm raising a 10 million pound fund at the minute. As you do. Uh, as you do. Uh, um, we're looking to turn that 10 million to 10 billion in value. That's 10 billion in wow. value over 10 years. So massive, massive ambition. So you've actually joined me at a really good time. Excellent. 10 million to 10 billion. 10 billion to 10, 10 billion. billion and all the 10s. It's all, it's all <laughs> the 10s. I'll be 60 when I do it. <laughs> ten, in that 10 year stretch. So Excellent. Yeah. So far in the belly. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it? What does it mean to you? Yeah, well, certainly, uh, far in the belly, generally, I know, mm-hmm. I know what it means. Sure. Uh, I certainly have seen some of your um, content across social media, particularly on um, Facebook, where you seem to be getting busy at the minute. Um, for me, there's just a relentless drive just to get better every single day. Sure. I've had that since I was 27 years of age. Mm-hmm. I was a total bum up until 27. I, I managed to get a law degree and stuff like that, but if I'm honest, it didn't take me that much effort in fact no effort whatsoever and i don't mean that in an arrogant form just you know it was good at just scraping through exams and things like that so um but from 27 i had fairly life-changing so well not life-changing but i changed my life around yeah and i determined to get better at everything i did from that point forward for the rest of my life and not to waste my life and achieve as much as i possibly could and i've lived that literally every single day for 22 years well so Belfast Brown and Bread? Yes. Where we are, mm-hmm. I grew up, if you look out my front window, you can see the house I grew up in. Oh, wow, okay. I grew up in this street. Wow. So I am really passionate. I did want to come back to this street. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate. I had a great um, upbringing. Mm-hmm. I love Belfast. I love trying to make a difference to Northern Ireland. And I, I love this wee patch. Now I have lived in Wales and London and different places, but I was always coming back to here. Mm-hmm. My kids go to the same school I went to well, okay. currently. Um, so Belfast born and bred, I'm really passionate about trying to make a difference. Mm. Okay. And how was upbringing? I mean, kids and school and... Yeah, it was it was good. Um, we were spoiled rotten as, as children in our house, mm-hmm. like really spoiled. Um, too, too much 
Okay. Uh, I, that has informed my parent, my way of parenting. Um, you can give too much to children. Okay. Uh, and I felt we had too much. Now it's just our parents trying to show love. Sure. In a way, be better if they maybe just showed more paternal and maternal love. Okay. Um, not looking to have a go at them, but yeah. rather than gifting all the time, there you go, take that, take that. At Christmas, mm-hmm. I used to have to pretend I got less than I actually got. Wow, okay. That, that's how much we were getting, mm-hmm. uh, how generous our parents were to us as children. We wow. were absolutely lavished. Mm-hmm. Two of them, uh, they both came from the Falls Road. They probably didn't have that much when they were growing up. Sometimes you do the exact opposite to what you sure. had. I, that's no... Your voice your values? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, perhaps I've taken a more balanced view. I sort of <laughs> behalf, so, but it was great. And um, went to school here, then went to school in North Belfast. I lived in South Belfast, went to school in North Belfast, then went to university, did law, all the rest of it. But uh, it was good. Mm. I enjoyed it. So, your work. parents originally from the Falls? Yes. But you were up here by the time you were born, were you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They had just, my dad was a slizder and his practice was going well, and he came to South Belfast. Brilliant. Um, in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. Interesting times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What about your mother? So she was, um, this show, I, I don't know if a lot of people will remember this type of thing, but my mother, funny, she was in the civil service. Okay. And I'm probably a bit more like my mum than my dad. Mm-hmm. People think my dad had some good success. People think, oh, he's maybe like his dad in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually I'm far more like my mum. She's far more gregarious. And even, but what she, what happened to her, and this is this will be interesting for folks at home because they, they won't remember this, is that she was in the civil service she was doing really really well okay i actually feel she has an unrequited sense of success in her life she gives so much to us and she didn't have a career but whenever she married and i was born i was a honeymoon baby sorry i'm hitting that table i know that's really bad for cow i always do that (laughs) Um, sorry folks um so she um I was a honeymoon baby mm-hmm. and I uh, was born uh, nine months after they got married. They eloped to get married, actually. Okay. The, pa- the parents didn't see eye to eye. Okay. And they eloped. And, uh, from the falls or from Yeah, so they literally lived a hundred yards away. Wow. Uh, I think one thought the other one was a wee bit snobbier than the other. <laughs> the, there's levels within levels, if you know what I mean. This sure. is, and, um, but once you had a baby in the civil service, you had to give up your job. Oh, wow, okay. So back in 1970, when I was born, mm. if you were female, married, had a child, that was the end of your career as in the civil service. Wow. Like that, pretty mind-blowing stuff. That's mm-hmm. 50, 40, I'm 49 now, I'd be 50 this year. Yep. But that was the lot of um, women back in those days. Now, some might say we haven't completed that journey, but I can definitely feel my mum, who I think would have been, she would probably be up at Stormont, but she had been showing those politicians how, how to do it. Mm. Um, now, she would have whipped them into shape a lot quicker. But uh, um, it shows uh, there's probably a lot of women of that age, maybe, who had to just, I'm not saying that there's anything against being a homemaker, mm-hmm. but maybe didn't get the careers that they could have had. Sure. Uh, I think my mum a wee bit is in that. What was her specialty or what was her? Um, I think she was working for the, 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 the it was called the Potato... Um, marketing board or something like that <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um she she wasn't a professional um in terms of didn't have a degree or anything like that mm. but she'd been well i know because i haven't heard a lot from her um uh, a real go-getter 
Right. And she said to me, like, she was getting really strong promotions and she was getting promoted ahead of everybody else in there and she would have a very good way with her in relation to people and things mm. like that. And uh, then that was the end of the career. Wow, okay. There so you, you think you're getting the tough today? Uh, listen, you, yeah, know? you know, you never know. Mm-hmm. And you, you look back with rose tinted glasses yeah. and you don't realise. Yeah. Brothers and sisters then? I have one brother who's a year and three months. Oh, sorry, what I'm talking about. One brother very close to me. Mm-hmm. He's a year and three months younger. I have a sister who's four years younger than me. She lives in London, Muswell Hill. And then I have a brother who's 16 years younger than me. Okay. Same mum and dad. He was a wee afterthought came, <laughs> came along he was more like a son to me if you know what I mean he was the, the perfect one yeah uh, he's a blue eyed boy he's a blue eyed boy uh, we're the monsters and yeah. he's a wee one that, yeah uh, fair play so to take us through then so through school how was school for you funny I, I was having a conversation with somebody that re- recently about a wee bit of ADHD and stuff like that. I look back on my school uh, and primary school, there's absolutely no doubt. Okay. Um, I was, they, I, they ended up, even though I was one of the brightest in the class, mm-hmm. uh, um, I ended up putting me in the remedial class okay. to control my behaviour. And it's just funny when people mm-hmm. talk about these things. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing how many people actually become entrepreneurs and have that sort of different life sure. um, after they have had stuff that really they didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. But I, I was bright, but uh, um, there were a lot of control issues or lack of control on my part. Mm-hmm. And even in primary school, I was quite difficult for teachers. We still laugh about it today. Uh, put me in remedial class because of, not because of my intelligence, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with anybody, yeah, yeah. Um, but just to try and get me away from the group sometimes. Okay. I look back on that now and I think it was probably undiagnosed ADHD. It's mm-hmm. the first time I've ever said that out loud, but I just hear other people talking about this stuff. Yeah, and yeah. I look back and I go, yeah. You know, I mean, I had, I've never told this story um, outside. It was, a, it was a guy, Johnny McCullough, who went to school, reminded me the other day. We had a, a, a teacher for recorder. So she used to come in to teach us the recorder. Mm-hmm. For some reason, this is when I was eight years of age. For some okay. reason, I took it that I didn't want to learn a recorder. <laughs> and there was no way I was learning a recorder. You didn't see a future, no? Didn't see a, fu- <laughs> didn't see a future, even in those days. And I was probably right. If you've ever heard my singing on my own podcast, you'll know <laughs> I don't have a musical bone in my body. Yeah. But that recorder, I refused to bring it in the first class. Mm. Right? She gave me 50 lines. I must not forget. I must not forget to bring my recorder with me to school. That's a long okay. line. That's a long line. Fifty <laughs> of those. The next week, I refused to bring it again. Mm. She gave me a hundred. Right. Mm-hmm. By the end of the year, we were up to tens of thousands. I had the entire class. We were using only carbon paper. Yeah. And we made these devices so you had like about six pens in a row. <laughs> right. I had the whole class. I refused for the entire year. Right. To bring a recorder at the age of eight, with the whole class doing these, I was paying them to write lines, and I reduced the lines from "I must not forget to bring my recorder" to "Bring toot toot." I had the whole class. I was Johnny McCullough, who was in my class, reminding me about this the other day. I told it in front of my kids, and, <laughs> and I'm just going, "Oh, how am I going to keep them any discipline? This is impossible." But so at the age of eight, mm. I was already at that sort of thing. But I was bright enough, so I was able to get through exams. Um, and there was. What a, do you think that was, though? Do you know? I, I just I do actually think there was a uh, an issue, maybe an ADHD or some other variant or something like that. I, I was it a call for help, or did you just think it was no, just? No, do, do you know what? I found I was really good at maths, and I, I found those things 
easy but then once I felt I had mastered something mm. and you know what if you look at my career <laughs> there's plenty of this signs of this in it and maybe talk about that later on once I've sort of mastered it yeah. I'm bored right. what's next and um, I think that in primary school um, uh, spelling and arithmetic were the two main things that I read okay. I'd mastered that fairly quickly and um, I was just bored I was mm. just going to cause hassle mm. or havoc mixture of that and ADHD. You said you were happy at that age. I mean, yeah, yeah, I was loving it. You can't enjoy winding teachers up. And I really took yeah. that into my secondary school. There was lots, there was lots, lots more of that in my mm. secondary school. Mm. So um, I was happy. Um, that mischievousness um, helped me create followers. Sure. I've sort of probably used that a wee bit in the rest of my life. So... But it was more destructive in those days. Right. I think it was, uh, if there was a bit of authority, it would never have been against another pupil mm-hmm. or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It was always against a, a, a bit of an authority figure. Something you didn't agree with? Yeah, but that particular one, it was just stupid. Yeah. I can't even understand why I didn't just bring my recorder. <laughs> just, mm. I mean, the, ha- the, the stuff we went to for me not to bring it, but the whole class was in then writing lines, carbon paper, pens with um, elastic bands, doing this. Bring, bring to to like it was so much more difficult than just doing a recorder mm. that went on for an entire year and then I, I regret because that teacher wasn't able to control me mm. and I look back on that now and I think yikes how would you have controlled you um I usually come back to this later but I mean almost advice to younger self I mean I don't know it 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 depends it's hard to say these days so you have mm-hmm. classroom assistants so you you don't have as often a teacher just isolated on their own mm-hmm. if you have 30 pupils and different ones are at different stages of learning and maybe i maybe maybe i wasn't half as smart as i thought i was but i thought i was so i thought you know what mm-hmm. i know this already um, i'm going to mess about i don't think certainly in the teacher in the teaching that i've seen in the same school actually mm-hmm seems to be a very high standard they're taught better to deal with that type of thing okay um maybe if there's an issue it gets diagnosed or looked at earlier mm-hmm. um i can't believe i'm sharing all, i've shared a lot of things as you know on my yeah. social but yeah. i've never shared any of this really actually um so i think it, i think it would get looked at quicker yeah these days no I, and i get that like i say for myself and mm-hmm. i'm sort of openly dyslexic and Mm-hmm. ADHD and all that and it, it is that well I didn't know you were it was you who was talking to earlier yeah, yeah. and I didn't want to <laughs> just in case didn't, didn't want to out me yeah, yeah. I didn't want to out just in case no, it wasn't and I, I'm curious even yeah. from, from you know from schools nowadays it's you know because people say oh the system's broke you know and it doesn't serve the kids and it's like well almost every child needs a kind of a bespoke yeah service almost you know yeah and look there's a lot of pressures in the home and, mm. and stuff like that and I guess like it wasn't my mum and dad's conduct created that hmm. whatever it was maybe it was their genes that created that maybe <laughs> it was my mum's sense maybe I picked my mum's sense of unfulfillment I don't know if she feels this way I've hmm. never actually talked to her about it but hmm. um, unfulfillment in their own I took it out in the world I don't know so the homework was it something you were pushed never to did homework. Never, never did homework never did homework never ever did homework never oh is there ever. any fighting genes yeah, reared up there never. for a second Look, I, re- I regret it now and I instill it. Like, mm. if my kids ever see any of my social stuff, I'll be embarrassed. But um, because we are fairly mm. um, uh, tight 
tight around homework and sure. I love to drive my children on. My eldest is a mini me of me, but I it's a really weird one. She's absolute mini me of me. But I knew that by the age of eight, she mm. could be off the rails. Right. So with that knowledge in my mind, like she's into everything. Mm. Like she just does not stop from the minute she gets up. Mm. Uh, so it's unbelievable. But I parented her in a certain way, knowing what I had been like. Okay and uh, kept on trying to just corral her into bettering herself rather than just mm. trying to wreck all around her, if, you, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. And luckily she's just done the transfer test there and did well and all the rest of it. She's so determined, but we've got it going in the right direction. Never had to ask her to do homework. She goes in there, does it herself, does all her practice papers, all of that, wow. without any uh, guidance whatsoever. Mm. The other two might be a wee bit more difficult, but... Mm. Um, they're all different. They're, they're all different. Yeah. Um, I spend a lot of time thinking about the parenting side mm. of things. Okay. So through primary school, then secondary school. Uh huh. What were your specialties there then? Messing about. Chief master. Br- brutal. <laughs> we we used to keep we used to keep uh, like top of the pops. Mm-hmm. Uh, top of the pops. Now there were guys. So I was going to school in North Belfast. We were we South Belfast softies. Day one, we arrived up. I don't think I've ever talked about this before either. Day one, we arrived up. Um, my mum made sure we had our blazers from the best, from Warnock's, you know, on Lisburn Road. Full woolen blazers. Mm. Flares. Not even, they weren't even flares. Flares, you could almost have said flares were trendy, but they were this the whole way up. Right, they were okay. that way the whole way up. So they weren't even flares. It could have been a 70s trendy. So we arrived in 1981, or I arrived in 1981. Full woolen blazer. Everybody else in school had drain pipes and... Dr. Martins, we had Clark's shoes and they had nylons, etc. And we stood out, or I stood out, a couple of the ones that came from South Belfast stood mm-hmm. out like a sore thumb. And you either had to step up yeah. because you had to show your metal mm-hmm. um, or you get steamrollered. And I had enough of the mm-hmm. about me. And more than they did, I wasn't as hard as you know. I sure. uh, was a, a softy in terms of you know, I was no fighter, and there would have been a fair bit of that at the school. Mm. And then, um, but I certainly stepped up, and then I was like, we did top the pops. Who was the number one messer in the school that week? And we used to keep the charts and all of that. And see, <laughs> I wasn't at the top of that chart. <laughs> Week in, week out, I was devastated. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't even know why that was important to me. Like, mm. I look back on it now and I cringe. Um, but that's, that's just good. the way it was. Yeah. But, you know, anyway, that's, that's good for you. Yeah. That's fine. I don't know why I was like that. But. So, up to GCSEs and, or O levels? O levels, my day. Yeah. O levels, A levels, and then on to do a degree in law. What was your specialties or what, what subjects would have shown? This is going to sound really, really weird. I was really good at getting what I needed to get. Okay. Right? So there were other students who were getting higher grades than me. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was in law, so it was always thought that I would go into my, my dad's um, legal practice. So right. I sort of always knew what I needed to get, and you weren't going to get an ounce more. Mm. And um, so did my O-levels, uh, did reasonably well without doing any homeworks. But it was getting progressively tougher, so the A-levels were tougher again. And um, uh, two of my three A-levels, I didn't even do for O-level. I picked them out of a hat. <laughs> okay. It sounds crazy. 
mm. and I got plenty of A's at O levels, mm-hmm. and I still picked out of a hat and picked two subjects, two out of three that I'd never even done before. Mm-hmm. One of which it turned out I really enjoyed was economics, mm. just by chance. I hadn't done that, and I hadn't done the ancient history, and that came out, and I didn't even like history in terms of the schooling bit of it. Sure. I ended up picked out ancient history okay. as well, and that was a struggle for me. Um, so it didn't have anything. The only things I really like, the only thing I really liked actually was economics. At sixteen, I asked my parents to leave school because I felt that my levels were not going to go as well as they might have done. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was not interested. I wanted to go down to um, a college of business, as it was called then, in Brunswick mm-hmm. Street College okay. of Business and Technology. That's where I really wanted to get out and actually start to learn stuff that would have been an interest to me. Mm. The bit that actually we didn't talk about there was I was running lots of little businesses on the outside of school. Okay. So when I think it was about 13, I got um, a sewing machine for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I started a wee business of taking people's trousers in. And we all had drain pipes rolling mods in those days. Just to forgive your mother's sin of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> putting in the big trousers. Yeah, putting in the big trousers. So I started taking them in. This is school trousers. Everything we're all taking in. And I did that. And then the following year, I got hair clippers. So I used to cut people's hair and have a wee turn at that. So I was doing, at this st- from I think from about age of 11 or 12, I was also asking for shares in the stock market. For Christmas as well, mm-hmm. I was really into anything entrepreneurial on the side. No interest really in the school stuff, and and um, just heard noise outside. But um, yes, yeah, so I wanted to leave school at sixteen to go to the College of Biz. And mm. My parents said no, and I went to do A levels. Okay, um, and they turned into they weren't great. You just want to take it back a wee yeah. bit there. You used a very interesting expression saying it, it was thought you would join your dad's solicitor's program yeah. practice. Yeah. It's very non-personalised language and just very... I know. Do you know why it is? Because I've processed a lot of pain around this. We, we may talk about it. I have processed a lot of pain. It's actually that whole thing about I said from the age of 27. Mm. So it felt like my life started at 27. So my dad is old school, mm-hmm. real old school. You don't hear much out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not the modern day dad, if you know what I mean. Sure. He, he's just old school, he keeps himself to himself. So when I say that, he didn't force me to do law, mm-hmm. but it felt like that's what I was expected. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to do business. Um, and the reason I used partly use that language, so I did five years at law and it wasn't really my thing. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's, who knows me will say, it wouldn't have put you down as a mm. slizder or a barrister, Gavin. Sure. Maybe a barrister, definitely not a slizder. So I did five years of that. Mm. Two weeks before I qualified as a slizder, my dad came home with a few uh, beers on board mm-hmm. from the Arts Club in Elmwood Avenue on a Friday night. And he said to me, son, you'll be paddling your own canoe. I'm taking early retirement. So two weeks before I qualified as a slizder, I discovered that I wasn't going into my dad's mm. successful solicitor's practice. And two weeks later, I was probably the first and only ever unemployed solicitor in Northern Ireland. Mm. So totally out of a job, mm. two weeks later, um, and could not get a job anywhere else because all the other jobs I went for interview for, my dad hadn't announced he was going to retire. He was quite high profile solicitor in the mm. town. Um, they were saying, well, Gavin, why would we bring you in and train you and do all this? You're just going to go to Donnie and Wall. And I didn't want to break his confidence. 
So the whole thing about me using that sort of language and personal language and not, it's mm. because I've sort of boxed it. It took me a long time to get over that. Sure. That particular time was three to four years of just utter mayhem in my life, partying, crazy stuff mm. until I got to 27. I take it that obviously happened. was completely unexpected. That Totally unexpected. So mm. it took me six months to get a job and the job that I got was actually selling car insurance. Mm -hmm. So I was qualified solicitor, couldn't get a job in law for six months and I ended up selling car insurance. Okay. And then bizarrely in the car insurance, this is a real thing, the more I think about it now, mm -hmm. really difficult uh, relationship with my manager at that time, like really, really difficult. Um, I had probably a lot of pent up frustration at that mm. stage. Sure. And, um, what was that frustration? Or? I don't know. Uh, well, I do know at that stage, yeah, I mm. felt that <laughs> I could have been off doing business. I did five years in law and uh, then became unemployed. And mm. then it started to dawn on me, do you know what? Because I really wanted to come back to this street. And it mm. started to dawn on me. This is a nice place, of uh, a nice bit of the town. That I was never going to be able to get back to where I had sort of grown up. Okay. I can remember thinking that that to get back to there you're going to have to do really well mm. and I now think am I allowed to swear on your podcast sure. and now I think I literally in terms of careers and stuff I'm fucked mm. in, in my 20s okay. I did law I don't really want to do it I've spent a lot of time doing that and actually it's not where it's, it's not going to do anything for me mm. very emotive language yeah yeah, it was, that was really tough. I I just hit it and drank and partying mm. for about three or four years. What do you, do you know your what your dad's thought process? So was on it? I've never thought we. Have, I don't even know that he knows that he had that conversation with me. Mm. It was obviously he knew he had to have it because sure. only two weeks left. <laughs> if he'd had it two years earlier, I wouldn't have gone to the institute <laughs> to do my professional qualification. I know your, your wife's a barrister. And um, if he'd had it earlier, I could have saved it was the <laughs> thing. But my dad is old school, so talking about something emotional. So it, this is really, it became the driving, you talk about the fire in my mm. belly, uh, fire in the belly, it became the, dri it became the driving force. Mm. So from 27, I've worked it out, I think I worked it out later, but from 27 to 37, that drove me like, it was a negative, you should really never use, I've reflected on it, you shouldn't mm. use negative emotion for this period of time that I did. Mm. But I determined, as well as I was going to get better every day, I started trying to give up drink at 27. It took me mm. 10 years to get off it till 37. Mm -hmm. um, but I decided that I was going to be more successful than my dad. Okay. Just to say that too. Mm. Is your dad still around? So yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I've great relationship now. It mm. took me. It took me a lot of processing. Sure, sure. So I, I said I was going to get uh, be more successful than, mm. than my dad uh, and do that to him. Mm. Now, so at twenty seven, then what happened was I got a job as a solicitor okay. in the civil service. Mm -hmm. I can imagine me in the civil service. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was another place I wrecked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I tell you, flipping ended up suing them and flipping all sorts. Uh, just uh, another place, just my face didn't fit. I kept on getting mm. into places where my face didn't fit. Uh, um, and that's why ultimately uh, I think my face does fit in business, hopefully. But I kept on mm -hmm. getting, that was another place, face didn't fit. But at 27, I was in there, realised 
right, I'll give it a shot here. But what started happening at that stage was I had started buying properties on the side. So I got a job looking after the OMA office okay. for, for the uh, civil service where I was working. And uh, I got myself a 700 pound police car, ex-police car for 700 quid. I dundered in, no brakes. I, was, I shouldn't even say that. <laughs> Total wreck, shouldn't have been driving. I drove to OMA every day in that. Right. I'm back. And um, I was earning about 70 or 80 pounds per day for that. Mm-hmm. And I was away for more than 10 hours per day. So I was getting double bubble on my lunch money. Um, got nine quid and I was bringing a packed lunch. Mm-hmm. So I think 80 odd quid per day. And uh, I started using that money to invest in property. Okay. So, and then I also started tra- trading shares. I bought a wee computer, Jornada, this is back in the 90s. Wow, and I was okay. trading shares during my lunch break. And then I also had an international phone card business uh, as well. And I was the most successful franchisee in the whole of the UK. Wow. So I was doing that all at the same time. And I was making, started making really good money and started investing it in the properties. So help me on the timeline. So then first yeah. property was when? About uh, 90, uh, 1997. Okay. Uh, so you were 29? No, 20? 27. 27. 27. Oh, okay. Excellent. Um, and then so shares and all happened at the same time? Yeah. So you full-time in civil service? Yeah. Doing and I worked hard. I actually worked, I worked hard um, mm. down there because they had three... Um, they used to have three lawyers down there and now they only had one. So it was actually... A, Look, for the last 22 years, I've worked flat out for 22 years, and mm-hmm. that was, the civil service wouldn't have been totally flat out, but it's because it's doing the other things as well. Mm-hmm. So Saturday, Sunday, would have been out sourcing, looking for properties and driving around, looking at different areas. Mm. Um, what were you looking for? I was looking for rental yields. That was really what, what okay. I was looking at. Um, I think north of 10% rental yield, mm-hmm. um, which you could get back in those days. Still can. Uh, you still can. <laughs> I know. You still can. Uh, people buy less, but you can get yeah. 10% rental yields, uh, getting more than 10%. Sometimes yeah. we do our upper, started then doing them up mm. as well. You hands on or did you? Yeah, no on? hands on. Yeah. yeah. If I built a kitchen once, I'm a total flipping. I don't even know how I did it. Just down on, on the Lisburn Road, actually. What was feeling at you at that time? Do you know? That was just that. That was the dad. Get better every day and be more successful than my dad. Just absolutely determined. So the so the burning so resentment of him was still still there at that stage. Was it resentment or how, I think how was, would you describe it? I just have to be honest, you know, and I don't feel that it was resentment not to my dad or to what had happened. I felt he'd let me down. I felt mm-hmm. he led me down a garden path. Um, when I really look at it, he never specifically said mm-hmm. you were entitled to this and that. But it was the best lesson ever happened to me. It was no one knows you and I said people all the time mm. it was only when I let go of that that mm. sounds a bit weird to say that your dad doesn't know you anything but when I was able to say my dad doesn't then nobody owes me anything mm. and that has really freed me to become almost total self-determination everything I do is down to me mm. and if somebody doesn't reciprocate something I've done nicely for them I don't let it worry me I just move on sure. um, and just keep on giving but um yeah, I'll just pull you back a little yeah. bit into into school and you know your your application of mm-hmm. picking a subject out of yeah. that. Do you know what your thought process or your learning process was? I mean, did you see it as a challenge or it was just an activity or or you know and, and did learning come easy for you? Or was it? I'm probably a quick learner. 
I'm probably a quick learner, but mm-hmm. I get bored very, very easily. Okay. So I can soak up. Uh, if I was in one in every four or five classes, okay, I would pick up enough to pass the exam. Okay. Sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, this is, I haven't talked about this before either. I, I actually, this is a wee weird one for some of the really good students that were at our school. Guys like Pete Cusick and Jimmy Nagel and different guys. It's interesting. I, I look back on now and I wonder, was I afraid to pit myself against them? Mm-hmm. Those guys were machines. They were working really hard from day mm-hmm. one. Now, I can remember on day one, we arrived in, everybody had to write an essay. Mine was the best essay in the class. About your first experience of the school, and mine got brought to the president of the school. Okay. And that was the high point of my educational career. Right. <laughs> when they were really impressed. My dad got to find out and everything like that. And that was it. And then it was sort of steadily, mm. um, because I was doing less and less work and they were doing. I, I, I wonder a wee bit. I've, looked, I've thought about this from time to time. think, was I afraid to pit myself? Afraid of success? Yeah. To get, no, I didn't know what. It's half. Well, you know yourself. The fear of success is fear of failure. They're so mm. interlinked. And whether I thought... I couldn't keep up with them. Mm. Whether I thought maybe they were smarter than me. Was there a perfectionism type slant on it, do you think? Or? Yeah, my, I love to be able to say that I was the best at doing no work but still getting the exams. Okay. I, I set a new standard and <laughs> I genuinely was doing no work. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, like, I'm not, flip, there'll not be many harder workers than me out there in, in the workplace. So it's not, it hasn't. Yeah. and come into my work life um, but I set up a new standard I used to like setting up standards hmm. so the standard was who could do the less work but still get the exams I was mm-hmm. definitely the best at that hmm. whether I could have matched them in the exams sure. I don't know hmm. I don't know I just don't know from NLP techniques it's almost yeah. one of those things where you self-sabotage almost you know 100% you know well it was, it could have been brilliant if yeah if I hadn't have done something yeah to jeopardize yourself yeah and it was the, well there was the fear of success the fear of failure mm. I would have had more success but do you know what the other thing was actually uh, I just they were, it was both I didn't like the way it was taught sure. either so it wasn't interesting me mm. the only thing I ever did like was economics and I did well at economics mm. um, what was, was it about economics that so, you well? but there was a business side of things that actually meant things so remember mm-hmm. I, had, I had we side businesses sure. um, the elasticity of supply and demand and things like that and mm. I was actually analysing that um, if you look back actually something that did interest me at school was the debating society Okay. so the debating society before I joined in lower sixth it was the smallest club of the whole school okay. they literally would have had so it wasn't the, the subjects didn't interest me apart from economics but they would have had maybe six, six or ten people would have turned up. I joined it and took over it, <laughs> and it was the became the biggest club right. in the entire school. I mean, we had to go. They used to do a wee classroom. We used to have to go and do our debates in the hall because mm-hmm. we were absolutely rammed. So I did the marketing, did the posters, did, chose the um, debates. There was a Miss Pedigree was absolutely brilliant. I was mm-hmm. quite in awe of her at the time. She's a lovely woman, and. Um, used to help with all of that and I used to go around and drum up people, you know, um, uh, you know, debates like we should not tolerate the intolerance, you know, the, the interesting stuff. Sure. And um, so that really got me excited actually at school, mm. more more than the subjects, some of the, the side projects mm. uh, and economics. Well, first job then? 
first job, first proper. What's first job? Give us both because there's obviously something going on there. No, there's. I remember actually in this street at sixteen. I've got bad back to this day because of it, but um, I actually built an entire patio. <laughs> Not your own, I take it. No, from mum and dad. Okay, yeah, from mum and dad. So really? the builder who left a lot of rubble mm-hmm. actually at the house, and I built the patio, um, mixed the cement and everything. So this is mm-hmm. sixteen. Mixed the cement, um, ordered the flagstones, but lifted the flagstones myself. I just did my back, and I've still mm. got a problem with it since. And um, dug a hole, massive hole. Filled it with all this rubble. Mm-hmm. Don't even know if that's legal these days. Even <laughs> being back then, and um, uh, built the patio wow. that Mrs. Featherstone across the road then inherited. It's probably rubbish. We <laughs> didn't last too long after we left. We left the next year whenever my, my younger brother arrived on the scene. Um, so those I consider those all as uh, as little jobs. And mm. um, I worked in Lavery's Bar. Everybody should work. Everybody in Belfast should work, have a work in Lavery's Bar. Um, Charlie Lavery, who was the owner at the time, or mm. certain part owner, he was my dad's best man. <coughs> I worked there um, behind the bar. Or? Behind the bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So how was pulling points for you? Yeah, look, you know what Lavery's is like. Absolutely mental. Like if you want to test yourself mm. <laughs> under stressful conditions as a bar person, you didn't get that much training. Um, mm. Bernard Lavery was in, he, he now runs the place and um, he was sort of the manager at the time. Well, he was, he was Charlie's nephew, but um, great guy. Mm. Yeah, probably Lavery's bar. And then first big one really was um, Boga McNulty Slizders, where I was a trainee Slizder okay. into my twenties then, um, Boga McNulty. I worked in London several summers um, as a janitor in Arlington House. Um, I was a good one, actually. I was a janitor, so I had to go and find the dead people in the mornings. <laughs> so you were a janitor, stroke cleaner, and Arlington House was a refuge. It's actually been on TV um, before. It was a refuge for homeless and stuff like that. Okay. And I really I really enjoyed it. I built up great relationships and rapports. Mm. After, working, after one week working there, I discovered that the recruitment agency that had placed me there actually was getting more money than I was mm-hmm. for the job. Mm-hmm. And just with my usual wee um, entrepreneurial stuff, I then approached Arlington House and said, look, you've seen my work. I'm a hard worker. Mm-hmm. Um, I could do this for you directly. Yeah. And put a wee phone call to say, oh, way I'm homesick and way back to Belfast, <laughs> <laughs> to the recruitment agency. And then they employed me directly and I earned really strong money. Um, then I was getting over £300 a week back in uh, 1987. What was it about that that appealed to you? Um, that particular ju- job? Just, uh, do you know what? See when I was getting paid money. Mm. Money's less important to me now actually, but mm. I think it was independence. So my, my parents spoiled us rotten, mm. right? They spoiled us rotten. You look at all my wee jobs, they spoiled us rotten, but they kept complete control. Okay. So if you know, like, Maybe children sometimes would have been given a few pounds, maybe they go on holiday on their own as they hit their 16, 17th they railing or something like that. Sure. In um, our house, no, you come with us mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so spoiled us rotten, but didn't like us to have much independence. So I always liked making money. Okay. I became pretty good at that mm. to give me a bit of independence. Sure. Um, so when I was earning that money, you know, I, I, felt, I felt good. But you also you had a bit of a, an energy spike there whenever you talked about working with the people and 
And finding the bodies as well. Yeah, I used to find, find the bodies. So I used to check all the rooms overnight. People would pass away and maybe an overdose, just an accidental overdose mm. or just an older person or, you know, cold or anything like that. Mm. Um, I've still got some great memories of the relationships. Um, Was that I, the connection? Did you enjoy the connection? Yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy, I enjoy, I enjoy. Your, your relationship with people can change over time as your skill set improves, etc. Sure. So now, you know, I enjoy trying to inspire people, trying to get people to be better in their lives, mm. trying to show, lead an example. Then I just enjoyed helping people. Okay. And um, they used to keep me back afterwards, used to go and play pool and snooker and stuff with some of the people who were staying at Arlington House and really enjoyed that and, and built strong relationships with them. Mm. And Arlington House had seen that from the first week. Mm-hmm. Um, they just didn't just come in and just mark time yeah i actually clean i remember the floors I used to clean them like my life depended on it um used to every time you opened the door when you saw somebody and they were alive and it sounds you know great you know and mm. they used to like see me coming they made a real impact that first week because i think that would have damaged their relationship potentially with the recruitment agency which they really needed sure. um so it, it was a big bit of trust for them to say gavin will take you directly Mm-hmm. Not for, I wonder who the recruitment is. I don't know if they still have that relationship. <laughs> but we, we basically split the difference of the yeah. recruiter. Maybe I did something wrong there, but anyway. It's a win-win. Yeah, it was win-win. It was a nice day for the whole the entire summer. Wow. Oh, in fact, only had one day off, actually, that entire summer. That's mm. the story of my life, actually, even though that was before I really turned my life around. I was, I was younger. Um, and we went to Brighton, myself and my friend, my best friend, who became a, my um, best man. We actually went to Brighton, but worked every other day. Wow. So London was a, a summer yeah. expedition for you almost, was it? Yeah, I went back then the next summer as well. The next summer was actually security guard for um, Columbia TriStar Pictures, just as the um, The Simpsons was being launched. Right, okay. Which was a really interesting time. It was just back in the 80, maybe 89, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, interesting times. L- London was good, but just hard hard work. What dragged you to London? What was the inspiration um, there? I don't know, just... Took an ocean. Big city, took an ocean. Um, just wanted to see what it was like. What were parents' attitude to this? Well, at that stage, you were you could do your own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was at university actually that second time. Mm. So, well, okay. So, university was where? Um, in Wales. Okay. In Pondypreth. Yes, university is called University of Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, my aunt lives in Wales, um, and uh, my. My brother then, he went to university in Cardiff. Um, so we both actually went to Wales. Okay. To study. Just Wales just take your fancy? I, Wales just took a fancy. Well, what ha- I actually didn't finish the A-levels, but so I did okay in the A-levels, but not enough to get into Queens. Right. And, um, but I'd hated, I mean, I, mean, I had despised the A-levels at that stage. So you did? No homework. Barely, I mean, I was bunking off all the time. I see if my kids ever see this. <laughs> Um, I was on report regularly. Um, I still did okay in the A-levels, but not enough for Queens. So what were your subjects? History, ancient history and economics. Okay. Um, so just nobody, you know, it's, it's just no success. Subjects are just ludicrous. Like, mm. um, So what happened was, hated it, went to repeat okay. them. Thinking about maybe getting the Queens. Three days in, I was already bunking off. 
And I just said, this is going to be, I'll get even worse this year. I knew it. I'll get worse this year than I did last year. Mm. And um, I've never talked, because I've never actually talked about this before. But um, so I said, you know what, maybe there's somewhere I could already go and do my law. And I went through clearing. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got in there with the grades okay. that I had without repeating. Mm-hmm. Because if I'd repeated, it would definitely have been worse. Yeah. In fact, I would be surprised if I even turned up for the exams. Um, so I, I went there. It's interesting you had a perception of yourself mm. at that point. You know, a lot of people don't necessarily. Is that right? You know, it's you don't. I mean, the, the old sort of I cannot see itself. But at that stage, yeah. to know that this was a... The path that actually you couldn't go down, or oh, the uh, yeah, yeah. I'll say, you see, there, no matter what, I, I uh, might come out later. I am a survivor. Mm-hmm. See, whenever I get to somewhere, uh, I can just see it just in time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would have been a total. That year would have been just a total waste. Maybe that wouldn't have been a bad thing. And one, maybe I would have gone on to do something else because I had the grades to get in to do business studies at Jordanstown, mm. which is what I actually wanted to do. Okay. Um, but my dad had never had. If my dad had, had the conversation at that stage, I would never have done law. Mm. I'd have gone and done because that was my second choice was Jordanst. So I had law Queens first, mm-hmm. Jordanstown business studies second. Right, okay. I had enough for Jordanstown business studies, but I didn't have enough for law at Queens. Um, if I knew at that stage I wasn't going to do Donning Wall, I'd go straight and do business studies sure. for 100% certain. Um, but I didn't know that. So I repeated um, mm. for literally three days and said, This is. I knew how painful it had been the first time round. Okay. Um, so, so what, what, I mean, repeating, what, what did that do for you? The, the st- for three days? Mm hmm. Well, I'd already, I'd already bumped off. I was only three days in. <laughs> I said, I hated these the first time round. Okay. Um, this is going to be worse. Okay. I just knew it. Mm. And I said, you know what? Um, if, law, if it's law, it's the thing to do. I'm going to go into Donnelly and Wall. Let's see if somebody else will take me. Okay. So I went through clearing. And um, uh, University of Wales would take me. It's an old polytechnic, as it were. Sure. Uh, and then off I went. Do you remember your parents' perception at that time? Yeah. Or? Oh, yeah. I don't want to put my dad. In the... <laughs> if you're not comfortable. Uh, no, look, I've, a great, I've said plenty of stuff in, in my own podcast, but there were. My mum is my harshest critic. Mum's tough. Okay. She's my harshest critic, but only because she cares. Okay. So um, she would be. Like, they, they, that's our high, there's a high bar. You know, and my dad, I can remember whenever I got my results in my A-levels, I shouldn't say this, he said, your wee brother Ben would have done better, and he was two. (laughs) (laughs) It was tough, that's tough stuff. Different times. Yeah, and they were, you know, different times, and he was probably, well, do you know what? They knew what I had put into it, Mm. and what I put into it was zero. Mm. I did remarkably well, given I had put absolutely zero into it. Mm. And that's why it was a law of diminishing returns. Repeating it, mm. repeating them, wasn't going to be a good thing. I would get less than my brother Ben <laughs> if, I'd, if I'd repeated them. So off I went to... Um, but you see if you say... See if somebody outside the family says something about me. Mm-hmm. My mum will... 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Mum's allowed to cut, chop me off of the knees, but sure. it's only it's probably for my own protection sometimes. Mm. Um, but nobody else is allowed to. Um, so it's a funny one. Mm. I think your brother's sister's going to law at all, or yeah. So I did law. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother did law a year younger than me. Okay, but he found out before he finished. So he did his degree and then didn't do the professional qualifications because he okay. found out um, about me. He was actually two years behind me at school. Right. So by the time he knew I wasn't going to Donnelly Wall, he didn't do the professional qualification. Okay. So my brother, Mickey Wall, he did law. Mm-hmm. And my brother, 16 years younger, mm-hmm. he did law also. Okay. And he is, um, he was a barrister originally and that didn't work out for him. And he's now in a really successful, he's a partner, him and uh, a guy called... Uh, uh, Neil McGranahan, they have a firm of solicitors in, they bought it a couple of, two years ago in uh, Newton Hards called Boyd Rice Slizzlers, okay. and they're doing really well, they're flat out, mm-hmm. they're doing really well. So three brothers all did law, mm-hmm. and none of them ended up in Donnelly Wall. Interestingly, a guy who was in my class at the Institute mm-hmm. um, is partner in Donnelly Wall. Okay. <laughs> so he was, he ended up, so this, is bizarre, this is how bizarre this was, he mm-hmm. was in my class at Queen's at the Institute. Mm-hmm. He ended up in Donnelly Wall and I was an unemployed solicitor. Wow. Now that would pickle your head. Sure. So he ended up and he's a partner in there. Andy Kenny and good luck to him. I'm glad. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was the best thing ever happened to me. Sure. I didn't know at the time. Mm-hmm. Do you think the writing was on the wall right from that application? You know, sort of law one, business studies two? Yeah, so the heart was all, the, <coughs> the heart was, I was an entrepreneur inside. And when we go on with the, um, the story a bit more it was always a battle it mm. was what was expected of me was mm. the law so if we if we jump forward mm. so i'd had this thing after the three or four years of just blowing my head off at parties then i started doing the international phone cards doing the band the houses and then um i was in the civil service i was doing something else can't even remember now and um Ultimately, I realized that I was different from the other people in the civil service. We went to a, a course on change and change management. There was going to be a lot of changes coming up. In the, okay. And all I had all day long, I, I'll tell you the truth, but 20, 20% of the people are really hardworking. We're really hardworking mm. and really, really good, good people. I'm not saying the 80% weren't good people, but they just weren't. And 20% carried the 80%. Okay. okay? The 20%, the more work they did, the more they got. And that's just the way of it. That's what it was like there. Mm-hmm. So, but everybody complained. Okay. Just complaining, complaining, complaining. They hit our jobs, hit our lives, blah, blah, blah. So we went to this change, mm-hmm. this thing on change. And I thought, brilliant. Naively, I thought, brilliant. Everybody's going to be really happy. <laughs> <laughs> There's all this change is coming. They're going to be, because they hate it. <laughs> they, all they do is complain. I'm sick of complaining because I was working really, you yeah. know, I was going to become more successful than my dad. And I was doing, uh, and we went this thing called change mm-hmm. and I went in happy face. This could be the making of me, you know, staying here because I've got my side hustles and, and those are going well for me. And, you know, my mum liked me being in the civil service. She was really happy. Sure. In fact, she got me the job advert. She gave it to me when I was in the car. She said, there's a job for you. And I applied and got it. So went the change thing. Fuckers. I tell you, so this is what, <laughs> you are all sitting like this. Fucking change. There's no fucking, I says, boys do moan. What do you mean? This is what you've been waiting for. Mm. Oh, fuck no, no. I said, it could, turn, it could change for the better. Oh, change for the better, my arse. And then that moment, I just went, bang, this isn't for me. Yeah. 
um, what they're looking to get out of life is totally different to what I'm getting out of, looking mm-hmm. to get out of life. But the weird thing was at that stage, because I had the business stuff going on, the international phone cards business, most successful in the UK, I had the houses, I was up to multiple houses at that stage. Um, I should have gone to business. But the thing about my dad, about being more successful than my dad, I couldn't get that out of my head. I still had this negative feeling mm-hmm. to what had happened. And so instead of going to business, I went, I switched to become a barrister. So I sold one of my houses and made 17,000 profit on it. And um, that gave me enough money to give up the job at the civil service to go back to Queen's Institute to swap over to become a barrister. Wow. And um, that's what I did. Mm. Fair play. That we changed thing, I just said, I, I, they're different from me. I, I'm looking forward to change. I want to keep changing. Mm. That stimulates me. They were all moaning. And they'd been moaning before, and I realised then they're going to keep moaning. I need to get myself away from that. So I went back, um, went to the bar, mm-hmm. I swapped over to the bar, sold my first house, uh, made the 17,000 profit, used it, went to the bar, and um, uh, really enjoyed the bar. I really enjoyed being a barrister. And I had a lot of success as a barrister, like really, really quickly. Because I had more experience, sure. and because I had experience in law, um, haven't been on the slister side of it, etc. Mm. I went to the bar and picked up work, uh, and I was a bit more mature. I was in my late twenties, twenty nine, mm-hmm. thirty something like that, and uh, so I picked up work really, really quickly, mm-hmm. and I was earning quite a lot of money very, very quickly. Whereas a lot of barristers will struggle in those first few years. Sure. I actually jumped straight in within eighteen months. I was absolutely flying. What was your specialty? Law or criminal, criminal mm-hmm. law. So I wanted to do criminal. My dad was a criminal solicitor. Okay. So he did all of the troubles during the troubles. He was doing defending all sorts of ter- heinous crimes. Mm-hmm. And um, so I always had an interest in, on the criminal side of law. So I actually refused to take civil law. Okay. Um, because I was so focused on what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept charts like you would do in a business spreadsheets on my cases, how many solicitors were briefing me, did all of that, how many cases, oh really, I used to love coming home to my spreadsheets, now most <laughs> barristers wouldn't have, they were maybe going down the pub the, you know, at the end of the week, I was saying going back to my spreadsheets and, right, how many cases you That's, you know, it's like a funnel, you know, and then, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm keeping all of my, I loved, I loved doing my spreadsheets. So um, what were you looking for? I was just looking for continual growth, okay. set new targets. What's my target for this year? Mm. How many solicitors? How many cases? How much money? Um, how much success? Okay. Um, and I did that and I just wanted, I can remember at my wedding, this is, this is really weird, at my wedding, so my in-law, oh, my cousins, sorry, my cousins, mm-hmm. um, who, who um, live over in West and are good people, I can remember at my wedding, and people go on to, you're switching to the bar and you've switched to the bar and why would you take that risk? Mm-hmm. And I remember a big table with my cousins, my auntie Betty and all the rest, all really good people, lovely people. They, they think my dad, they mm-hmm. worship my dad. I'm not saying there's any reason that they're wrong to worship my dad. Yeah. Uh, and I worship my dad now, I've processed all this stuff, but they said to me, what's this all about? Because mm-hmm. I was really driven. I was going to fuck kill dead things. I was so driven. <laughs> and at my own wedding, they said, why they're asking me these questions? I says, because I'm going to be more successful than my dad. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the table of my cousins. Talk about pin drop moment. Just total silence. But they didn't know what I had been through. They think sure. my dad's perfect. None of us is perfect. And they didn't know mm. what I had been through. 
And so I did that anyway till I was about um, 36, 37. Mm. And one day, barrister's second best job in the world after entrepreneurship. And one day, um, I just literally woke up and said, right, I'm now as successful as my dad. And he was really successful. So mm. I, I was earning hundreds of thousands of pounds a year. Um, I was real, well respected as a barrister, getting lots of some of the biggest cases. And woke up and said, right, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Mm. No barrister in Northern Ireland has ever said that. I mean, sure. it's, impo- it's nearly impossible to say that because when you earn uh, that sort of money, a mm. uh, big house in South Belfast, at the time and uh, earn lots of money you just you can't walk away from it it's, it's get you get you hooked in and i enjoyed it as well sure. but actually that was the end of my my bit with my dad i had done that i had achieved that i had driven on it for 10 years i carried that negative emotion mm. and i had achieved it and i woke up i don't want to do it i don't want to do this for the rest of my life because there's no more growth it's really weird mm. there was no more growth and i said to my wife she's looking at me going <laughs> are you mad mm. This, I said, I don't think I'm going to do this. I, I'm going to leave. I, even though I enjoyed it. Mm. It's bizarre. And um, What did you enjoy about it? I enjoyed having success with it. Okay. I did enjoy criminal law as well. I enjoy, see the buzz of winning cases? It's pretty, it's powerful. Is that what success was for you? Yeah, see winning cases. I used to love, and I was winning cases not because I was necessarily the most knowledgeable on the law. Mm-hmm. I used to, I was looking at all of the wee moving parts around, who was it up against, who was the judge, okay. what were their pressure points, who was lazy, who didn't know their stuff, what angle could have bluffed them, could have played them in poker, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean, mm-hmm. um, using all of those techniques, mm. um, and maybe NLP, a whole lot of stuff without me knowing sure. that it was, I used to be really good at doing that sort of stuff to mm. get the results. And when you get results, you get more cases because solicitors want to use you when they see you winning cases. Mm. And I, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed, look, I was driving the Porsche 911 at the time. I was a big house. I mean, what's not the like? I was going to Dubai, okay. go to Cuba, wherever. Look, it was a great life. It mm. was a life that everybody dreams of, surely. Mm. Did you keep on with the, the side hustles at the same time? So yeah, so, so I was up to 50 houses. So I personally owned 50 houses. What happened was in 2006, so I'd gone, maybe you know Pete, I'd gone from double digit yields mm-hmm. to, the, I was getting outbid all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, people were buying stuff 3 4% yields and I was going, this just doesn't work. I've been doing this and capital repayment. I'd always been capital repayment for over a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, side hustles had gone really well. You know, I was a very wealthy guy. And um, in 2006, I was getting outbid by, this is no slight on hairdressers, but I'm just using it, people mm-hmm. who'd never been in property. Yeah. The bank was saying, do you want a hundred grand to buy a house? Self-cert. Do you know, self-cert, off you go. I was getting outbid and I could not face, I literally could not face giving up the business side of, so I had the law, mm-hmm. which was now funding all this. I couldn't face giving up the business side because that's, it was that hankering to do business. 
Yeah. So in 2006, I was actually the person briefing Jamie Delargy. I don't know if I've ever told you. So he was going mm-hmm. doing his news reports about there's a market crash. Mm-hmm. I was meeting Jamie and telling him 25% crash coming. Absolute certainty. There's no doubt in my mind there's a 25%. Whereas a very, very, I'm not even saying his name, a very, very famous solicitor, mm-hmm. well known, still going, Lisburn Road. He said on the TV, 40% uplift coming. <laughs> I contacted Jamie and said, there's a 25% crash. I ain't getting outbid by people who do not know what they're doing. There's no way they can make this work. Hmm. But what I did, my mistake in 2006, I said, I need to get back in the chain earlier to feed properties to these Egypts. So I bought four bits of land. I became the biggest Egypt of the lot in 2006, four Hmm. bits of land. I got my planning, all of that through, but my mistake, a couple of mistakes, signed personal guarantees, Hmm. 14, day demand loans. Wow. My wife somehow ended up as a guarantor on one of them. Jesus, I don't know why. And she's an accountant. Jeez, I don't know how that happened. And I was in partnership on one of those bits of land okay. with people who um, didn't have the same um, fair-minded approach, I would say, to business that mm-hmm. I had. And that really cost me because it was a limited liability partnership and I could not actually get out of it. Mm. even though I was wanting to buy the out mm. I said no so I had four bits of land that I got planning on but that land went um, lost 90% of its value it had planning yeah had planning and still lost 90% of its value mm. I, it didn't, none of it had planning when I did but mm. I got planning on all of it and still down still it. 90% and then one of the local banks served me with a demand notice so I then lost everything, absolutely everything, including my family home. Um, we lost every single thing over a period of a couple of years. Um, we lost every single thing. Now, at that stage, I had given up the, my barrister job mm-hmm. to start a small business. I walked away from, so we jumped on, jumped on. I, I, I walked away then from the barrister's career. Mm-hmm. the career as a barrister and um, before the crash it was 2007-2008 um, and set up a small filling station mm-hmm. so tiniest, tiny 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 petrol filling station so I walked away from the my wife's only just getting over that now I walked away from that but then the crash came mm-hmm. and my wife and my accountant, my accountant's her sister, they begged me to go back to being a barrister because I could have earned the money to plug the gaps. Mm-hmm. But I had done my bit in law. I knew I'd got as successful as my dad or felt. Sure. I was never going back to law, no way. So um, I said, I'm going to do the most entrepreneurial, I'll never forget it. I said, I'm going to do the most entrepreneurial thing I'll ever do. And you're just going to have to trust me. I'm not going back to law and I can get us back. So everything was coming down around us. I can get us back to where we were. It'll take me seven years. And you got to trust me. And here's the plan. This is how I'm going to do it. But we're going to lose everything. And we lived, my wife, my first child had just been born then. And we lived and then my second child and then my third child with three and two and a half years. We lived for five years, so we lost everything, including our family home. And we lived in my sister-in-law's back bedroom for five years. 
Mm. My wife and three kids and me. Whilst I put in the plan, my seven year plan, to try and build us back up. So what age were you then? So I was about four, so <coughs> about 40. Mm-hmm. When we were, when we lost absolutely everything. So 36, 37, you left the... The bar, yeah. Bar. Three years-ish. Yeah. I just started um, work building a business mm. and then, but not earning, you know, anywhere near the money from the bar at that stage. Mm. Started to lose everything. They then said, you have to go back to the bar. I said, no, uh, that's, I'm not going back again. I probably shouldn't have gone from Slizder to Barrister, but it was still a good experience. Mm. And I got that whole thing about my dad in the system. I says, I'm not lost, lost done. Mm. I says, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. That's what's, that's what's been in there all this time waiting to get out from that when I had the opportunity to do law or business studies. Um, I'm not saying you have to do business studies to become an entrepreneur, but mm. the, the itch was there to find out. I wanted to go to college of biz mm. at 16. Sure. Um, so I said, no, that's, I'm, I'm in business. That's where I'm meant to be. I, mm. fe- I feel I've got something to offer. Why, why seven years? I just, I mapped it out. Okay. And I was mapping out to get back to where we sort of were. What was your reference point though? Did you have one? Yeah, I did. I, uh, I wrote it all down. I sent it an email to a friend. This was before I had social media to keep me accountable. <laughs> 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 I actually emailed the plan to a friend in uh, Munich in Germany. Right. So actually the 16 year plan. And the 16 year plan is almost identical to what I mapped out. Yeah, I sent him a 16 year plan, but seven years of that was total uh, another basically sacrifice. It was seven years of sacrifice, I call it. Your 16 year plan's coming up shortly now. Yeah. So I'm into the, this the stage now, we're on the venture capital, but that this stage was actually meant to be a trade. I was building a trading platform. Okay. To trade in shares and different things. Mm-hmm. But it's actually, turns out it's become a, a venture capital side. That's the only difference actually in the 16 year plan. Mm. Mm. as it's going on so um, the one thing I should just say on my dad is that I look back because I want to be fair about this I I look back on that and what I realise although I've never spoken to him about it what I've realised or this is what I've taken out of it is that he started off this firm Donnelly and Wall Mm. with Paddy Donnelly and he obviously he took early retirement then he was retired two years later from he had that conversation with me at 57. So he retired at 57 from a business that was paying him a really good money. Yeah. So what I've realized is that he was not enjoying it. Okay. This is what I believe this took me, this is literally only a couple of years ago I realized this because mm. well, I go over it regularly. And he obviously was not enjoying his job because he retired two years later and he didn't want me to come into a place that he wasn't enjoying. Okay. That's what I believe now mm. um, actually happened. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't have the, the vocabulary or the emotional piece um, to be able to explain that to me because mm. he's old school. So that, that's what I actually believe happened now. And actually, you know, I actually got a wee tingle up the back of my neck. He was actually trying to do me a massive favor, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. wasn't able to let me know because yeah. I probably wouldn't have understood anyway. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, do you have any other inkling in terms of what his thought process was? Yeah, no, that, I'm, I'm pretty confident. He said to himself, I'm not enjoying this. 
Okay. Um, this this isn't for me. I'm going to retire, and I don't want to bring my son into it mm. because I'll be bringing him into somewhere that I think that he won't enjoy. Mm. Wow. And he was doing me. A, he was trying to do me a favour because um, he he is a he's a good good guy. Mm. Um, I couldn't see it at the time, so I immediately thought somebody's taken away my life. Yeah. Um, and that did spur me on. Yeah. Ultimately, but that's that's what I think. Mm. Happened. I might ha- I might have that conversation. So he's eighty one now, and he's still going strong. And uh, I'll maybe have that conversation with him one day. Mm. How do you think your parenting style has changed from? I've learned a lot. My parenting style is really based upon. So I've I look back at mine and I feel my dad was so old school. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not the touchy feely or anything like that. Whereas I'm, you know, you, you fill the void, as it were. Um, I want to have my my um, relationship. Like, I work really hard, so I have less time than some other parents might have. Sure. But that time, the energy that I put into that time and the love and the connectedness mm-hmm. is um, really important to me because I want to have the social capital to be able to say, if they are going off the rails, like I have done at times in my life, to be able to have a, a conversation Mm. Um, uh, and they will listen now look, when they get the tiny teenagers maybe this is just a pipe dream mm-hmm. but my dream is that I will have enough social capital in them that I can help them sure. whereas my dad probably didn't have that social capital with me because mm. um, that bond hadn't been built okay. um, to be able to help me when I maybe needed it mm. Interesting. If you, I mean, it's subjective, but if the second choice had to come in and straight into business, mm-hmm. do you have any perception of? Ah, oh, God knows. No, do you know what? I actually also think I was pretty immature person. Sure. Um. So. Um, Sorry, Andrew's just arrived. Oh, nice. I actually think I, I look back and I say I was pretty immature. Okay. Right up until my late thirties. Do you know okay. what? Do you know the only thing that probably brought me maturity was losing everything. I actually think I was immature. I just think I was really immature mm. uh, in a lot of ways, and the maturity has actually come to me through gratitude. I don't think I had gratitude. I've thought about this quite a bit. Mm. Don't think I had the gratitude about the people. I don't know why, but um, I do have it now. Um, so as for if it had gone straight into business I'd have said it had been very successful and then I'd have lost it all hmm. well. I'd probably follow the similar sort of cycle than what I did yeah, yeah. Did I do um, so I, um, the fact that I lost it all some people will just put that down to a market crash sure. right but I accept I accept my responsibility mm. pretty quickly and said I was responsible for losing everything. It wasn't the market. Mm. So actually, because I took that approach, I gave the banks here have everything, tied it up on a nice package for them. There you go. And I was actually back and backed in the market by a bank within two years of losing everything. Wow. Okay. Now, I reckon I was the first person to get finance after the crash. Wow. Because I said, here you go. This is my fault, not your fault. You didn't make me sign anything. Um, you may have been pumping the market that made me 
take sure. a different course. Sure. But nobody forced me to sign anything. Mm-hmm. Um, here it all is, take it all back, nicely packaged. And because I took that responsibility, that was me maturing and growing up. Mm-hmm. I was actually back and, and banked in the marketplace in two years. Probably the first after the crash year. Mm. I can't help but draw a comparison from you're saying in your, your childhood, you know, mm-hmm. the excesses of Christmas and everything else mm-hmm. and almost downplaying it and, and pushing it almost away. Mm-hmm. And almost then this sort of moment of leveling the field. Oh, well, it's, that's a good point because if you take, for instance, um, the, our own home, mm-hmm. right? So our first child had just been born. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we were entitled to stay in that house, a nice big house with a big garden with mm-hmm. five bedroom house in the Malone Road, right? We were entitled to stay there until she was 18, at which stage the market would have recovered anyway, and then you do a deal with the bank, okay? Sure. And we had a tracker mortgage, half a percent over base. Wow. Right? And the base rate had dropped to half a percent. Mm. So our tracker was one, our mortgage was 1% okay. and wasn't going to go anywhere anytime soon. So our mortgage was less than you could rent a house for. Mm. Right, we had the best deal in the world and nobody was able to take it off us. I told the bank, take it back. Do you know what? I don't want it, just take it. I don't want to feel beholden to anybody. Mm. Have that and looking back on that, that's, that was a crazy thing to do, absolute lunacy. And we lived for five years then with my sister-in-law in her back bedroom, but it was the right thing for me for whatever reason, I just wanted it clear those decks and I used it as part of the narrative to get that back in two years later sure. I says look I had a flipping bank they were getting brutalized by that mortgage product mm-hmm. because they were borrowing a lot higher than half percent over base mm-hmm. I said and I did I said there you go to the bank take that back so what was the thought process there I mean the seeds of a plan were obviously kicking in yeah well I had a seven-year plan <clears throat> and that was it I just didn't do you know what I, I felt you know, you talk about um, a wee bit of self-flagellation. I, I felt I had to feel the pain. Mm. And if there are a lot of other people I know, right, mm. who had been through similar stuff and um, they still sat in a big house and all the rest of it and pretended mm. that nothing was going on. And drink. Luckily, I had given up alcohol by 37. Mm. Um, that, was, that was a lucky one, actually. So they ignored a lot of what was going on around them. Mm. Um, and some of them still in denial to this day. Some still haven't met the the reaper, as it were, on that. Mm-hmm. Whereas I said, you know what? I backed myself. I said, M- my rise and my success wasn't luck. Mm. It wasn't to do with an inflated market mm-hmm. because I was in the market long before it got inflated. Mm-hmm. Um, my ability to see an opportunity or to, to make money, I've been doing it all my life. I'll do that again. Sure. Um, but I just want to, I don't want anybody to say I've got something I shouldn't have mm. and take that back. What would that mean? Someone mm-hmm. saying you get something? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I have this. Uh, there's another thing. It's, it's a wee weird thing is that, um, for instance, my wife would sometimes talk about doing a lottery and I say, you can't do the lottery. What have we won? It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a bit weird because mm. she said, ah, great, more holidays. I'm saying, no, no, but that would ruin, that would ruin mm. the whole thing. Because then somebody would be able to say, I don't know why, I don't know why this works. Some people would say, oh, you got it easy. I think maybe whenever we, whenever we used to arrive up to school in, in my dad's car, my mm. dad, the car we arrived up to school and there were only two of them in the whole of Northern Ireland. And we used to rock up in this car and it was, 
<laughs> one way it was lovely but another way it was mm. Jesus Christ <laughs> this is too much mm. and um, so uh, I like to be able to say I want to be able to say everything that I have created with the support of my wife and family has been created by us mm. rather than has come from somebody else or some other bank or whatever it might be don't know why that's important but do you believe in fate? Um, bizarrely when, when you ask that question the first thing that pops into my head is I needed to, to, to marry a certain type of woman mm-hmm. who is confident in her own self okay. and is prepared to be married to a fucking lunatic <laughs> right um, I probably was going to have to be a country woman <laughs> it all sounds like I'm putting people in Belfast and boxes or what mm-hmm. well, so funny when I was 27 the first week I started trying to give up drink at 27 Mm. to bring a more sen- you know, a more focused, sensible and the first weekend I tried to give up drink or did g- I gave it up for a weekend first time ever at 27 mm. I met my wife mm. um, in a bar uh, and I was sober now if I had met her any other weekend in the previous 10 years she had laughed at me mm. but because I had that was the weekend and when I, when I met her, it wasn't a love at first sight thing, but it was more. Uh, she, I think she could handle me, if you know what I mean. Mm. Uh, and I ended up marrying her. So that was from twenty seven. We're now twenty three years on. Mm-hmm. Married a few years later. So there, that was that was a fate one, mm. because remember, if you but if you listen to so fifty houses, but a barrister, blah, blah blah, all of this stuff. Mm. Not that any of that mattered to her. See, that's another important thing. She didn't give a damn about that. So we had our first child. So we went to that to absolutely nothing. Sister-in-law's back bedroom for five years. Mm. Not one word of criticism. When I walked in and said, I'm not going back to being a barrister. This is the most entrepreneurial thing. Any woman with any sense would have said, you know what? I've had enough of you. I'm away. Mm. So that was definitely a fate one. Mm. Because without that support, then I wouldn't have been able to create the businesses and the opportunities and the inspiration for all the other people. Mm. Um, But for fate... You know what? I'm a big believer in reality. I, well, I had to give up drink that weekend. Why did you have to? Because I just, my life, I had to get my life on track. Now, mm. it took me 10 years to give it up totally. Mm. And interestingly, I gave it up just before the wheels came off everything. And I believe if I hadn't have managed to keep, do you remember I said about me being a survivor? Mm. If I hadn't have given that drink up that time, mm. I wouldn't have got through the, the, the crash stuff. Have been too painful. So there's a wee survivor bit in me, but mm. yes, in fate. To get back to your question, yes, in fate. But you got to do the stuff. You got to do the things yourself. It's nothing's going to come to you. You got to do the work. You got to put the effort in. You got to be a good parent. Mm. You got to be a great employer. You've got to be a good leader. Um, you've got to see the opportunity. You've got to take responsibility for whenever you fuck up, like I did whenever I lost everything. Mm. Um, all of those things together, good things will happen. You've got to be grateful. That's the biggest one I learned from losing all of the material stuff mm. was that people still supported me and still loved me. I found out about unconditional love um, during that period of time. Whenever your wife doesn't say, boo to you and mm-hmm. you've flipped and turned their life upside down you realise 
right? I'm loved unconditionally, and that freed me to actually uh, love back unconditionally. Sure. Which I don't think I had up until then. You come across as quite kinesthetic, fair. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that doesn't mean to feel the feeling of success is yours. Oh, look, you have to. And that's maybe comes from all that dad stuff I talked about earlier on. Mm. So I, I, I want to be mine. But look, if I make a mess, mm. I'll be the first person to put my hand up mm. and say, I've made a mess. How do you, and how you feel, the way that you feel. People take shortcuts when they're starting to feel. Mm. Um, the way that you feel is important to how you'll come back. Sure. I'm curious, you have a 10-year cycle thing going on. There's a lot of tens. Yeah, a factor of tens, and I do. Well, that's a bizarre. It's a bizarre one because in the current um, thing, which is the the venture capital um, with Andrew Cuthbert, uh, the change be the change. Be, be the change. So I have committed ten years of my life to that. It's just when you. It's funny mm-hmm. you say that. You, so we've had discussions and we plan it out. Mm-hmm. And Andrew's a far uh, better planner than me, but. My, I do have a structure of a plan, and he really likes the plan mm-hmm. or so. But I said, right, ten years of my life. You've got ten years. Mm-hmm. And he always goes, oh, a wee bit more, a wee bit more. And I said, no, ten. <laughs> There's ten. I said, look, we we'll review it at ten mm-hmm. and see, you know, if we're having the success that we want to have. Sure. Um, but maybe we we'll iterate it and do something else, go into philanthropic stuff if we're really, really successful. Sure. Uh, who knows? But there's ten years to create that ten billion um, of value from ten million. Um, acorn wow. so ten, yeah there, there is a wee cycle there's definitely a cycle I know there's cycles of about, about normally about seven years before I get mm. bored and then move on to something there, there does it come across a cycle of the, almost the seven years and then there's a three year almost. a wee three year finding out what's, what's the next thing Sort of verges between self destruction and then self recovery. It's like an arsonist firefighter. Yeah, yeah no, there, there definitely is. And I thought the next 10 years was actually, because it was going to be 10 years, was going to be um, the personal development and mm-hmm. the speed mentor stuff that I do at my own podcast. And, you know, hopefully I've, I've made a good contribution to the ecosystem of entrepreneurship in Northern sure. Ireland. I was 100% convinced that, mm-hmm. the ten, that was what the next 10 years was going to be mm-hmm. until I met Andre. Mm-hmm. And then we went off and actually that's parked. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was going to be a 10 year or something. I was 100% sure it was going to be that. Mm. And then uh, uh, meeting um, Andrew Cuthbert, I know we haven't talked about him earlier in the episode, but uh, meeting a, a particular guy and I uh, was just fascinated by some of the sort of ideas he was coming up with. Sure. And we had very um, similar values, even though our rapper, as it were, is very, mm. very different. Mm. Uh, most people who sort of don't know us well enough might think, Oh, those two would never go together, but actually were a perfect uh, complement. Um, and then I said, you know what, with the speed mentor and the mentorship stuff, yeah, that'd be good. And I can add a lot of value, but actually 10 years with Andrew might change the world. Sure. Um, so, that's, so there is a 10-year cycle mm. that has started last summer. In terms of finding the belly, I mean, is it something you, do you think you were born with it? Yeah, this is this is a this is a weird one. I don't know whether other people get this. I think I've mentioned it recently in something, and that's going to sound really. I think other people do have it. I think I know Andrew has it. Um, you might have it yourself, Pete. But 
I always felt that there was something great to be achieved inside me. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether other people think this. I have only started sharing this recently. I always felt that I was destined to do something spectacular. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been done yet. And I don't want to get to the wooden box and not have done it. Mm. I don't know whether other people have that. I've always felt it right from a childhood. Why do you, your language change, your body language changes quite significantly, almost almost afraid to say that. I haven't say, really said it before. I haven't really said it before because it makes you, it makes you sound like you're an arsehole. Um, <laughs> I say it very openly, so I'm not. Do you? I, I, well, that's all right. I didn't know whether other people said it, but I, I always felt that there was um, something um, significant. I didn't know what it was. I, I always was a bit different from the other kids. I wasn't really a team, fo- you know, all the kids mm. were playing team football. I always kept myself separate. I always felt there was something inside that made me a bit different. But maybe everybody feels that. I don't know. But um, so I have. I have always felt that, and hopefully mm. one day I'll prove it correct. But on the on the mentoring side, did you? How did you perceive that in others? I mean, yeah. Well, what I perceived in others was the stuff that I knew and that I had achieved and that I believed in and the self improvement and mm-hmm. the journey I'd been on. That knowledge was really a strong foundation to help other people. Okay. So what I can say for definite is that every single one of us has the potential to be more. Mm. Every single one. I've been on the journey for 22 years and I still think there's loads more potential in me. Mm. And every single person that I have mentored has had more potential in them. And I'm a bit further down the track from most of them that that I mentor. Mm. Um, So it's easy for me to see what it is that they need to do. Mm. and where, where they need to improve and what they can do, both on the business side, because I've been in business and my experience across a whole lot of different sectors, from law, property, trading businesses like spars, subways, managing people, and driving yourself, keeping mm. yourself accountable, goal setting, sacrifice setting, and gratitude now, which I've built in the last couple of years. Um, so that's, mm. I just plug that into people. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy. The, the, the outcomes that they can achieve from where they are, mm-hmm are pretty incredible. Um, what gets somebody to jump up and take over the world and make a decision or whatever and the other person goes and switches on the TV? So What's the difference? Do you know what? About 80% of the world are consumers. I've boiled it down. I did a podcast on this and it was the more I've thought about it and I've used it actually with my children quite a bit at the minute. So 80% of the world are consumers. And 20% are the producers. Remember that 80-20 was talking mm-hmm. about civil service. Yeah. And it's a Pareto principle that applies <clears throat> yeah. nearly everything. Um, so why are it 20% producers and 80% consumers? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's just a fact that that's the split. And the more you can produce for the 80%, sure. the greater your opportunity will be. Mm. And if you do it in a way that you're always adding more value, mm there will be plenty of people who want to consume it and they go on your journey with you. Makes sense. So why they do that? Like some will do it because they had nothing and they want something. Some will do it because they've already been born into success so they've seen how it's done. Hmm. Uh, some will had a golden handshake from their father or mother or whatever. Um, some will just find it out of, you know, necessity. Hmm. Maybe they lost a job. 
and they had to become an entrepreneur. It's something I actually I've talked quite a bit to Andrew about. He's a big believer that a lot of it is necessity. Mm-hmm. So you lose something. Yeah, a few times I've lost stuff and actually mm-hmm. it's made me come back stronger every single time. Sure. Do, you, do you feel like you're in alignment with yourself now? Yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. Big time. Is that a new thing or is that? Yeah, it's, it's getting stronger and stronger. Okay. Um, I, I did a post recently as I look in the mirror. I actually love the guy who looks back mm. with all his flaws, with his good bits. Um, I understand that person mm. more than I ever did. And um, What was the turning point? So part of the turning point was losing everything in terms of financial sense. Mm-hmm. That made me reassess about who I was, about unconditional love, stuff we've talked about. Um, I started getting gratitude in my life. I mm-hmm. talked before, a wee squirrel comes into this garden in the morning. It just be tiny things like that. Sure. Just I'm lucky to have a garden. A squirrel come in that comes at the same time every day. I'm lucky to have a wife who loved me and stuck by me when I lost everything. Um, I'm lucky to have um, three um, healthy children mm. who uh, enjoy their lives. Um, and then um, about five, four or five years ago, I really started working on my own personal development. Okay. And that has taken me. So my wife is pretty well developed person, mm-hmm. right? She needs to be. Women generally are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she, she needs to be. Um, to put up with me through personal development. Mm. Jim Paradox was a big one for me. Yeah. Jim Paradox, and I actually saw a lot of my flaws. As soon as I read that, I went, "Fuck, that's me." There's one at the start where I talk, where. Um, a man is waiting for somebody to go, I think it's to go to the cinema, or certainly my memory of my own one was mm. whenever I put it. And um, the the woman hasn't arrived on time, and he's, you know, going like that, and it's either getting frustrated and all the rest of it. And then um, phone in, boy, why aren't you there? And then she arrives 20 minutes late, and she's off, like somebody got knocked down by a car, and they had to use my phone to phone mm. an ambulance. And I had had an, a, an instance similar to that with my wife I went oh my god that's me I need to start working on myself and I had started working on myself and um, I have really worked really really hard on myself um, Stephen Covey um, mm-hmm. Seven Habits Seven Habits yeah um, read that blew my mind absolutely blew my mind around parenting as mm-hmm. much as anything mm-hmm. really absolutely blew my mind and um, I've worked and worked and got better and better at that stuff Hmm. And until I actually believe it's going to sound bad, but I actually think I'm further developed than my wife now. I can actually see that. Oh, I know, I know, I know. But I have to tell the whole. <laughs> I have to tell the whole truth. Even you know, you've heard me say. I, I, I tell it no matter what. I actually hmm. think I'm further developed than her hmm. now. And I actually think that she might think it as well. She actually started reading a wee bit of Stephen Covey. <laughs> That's what told me that she was because some of the stuff with the kids, uh, meditation. Yeah. I've seen some stuff. I haven't meditated as well in 2019 as I did in 2018. Mm. But in 2018, some of the stuff started coming to me, the clarity from meditating. Mm. I got a big breakthrough and a wee thing with my son and I couldn't find a way through it. The answer came mm. in, in the middle of a uh, meditation. Wow. Uh, just bang! That I was putting my issue onto him. Mm. It was really weird one, and then it just cleared it. It just flipping, just cleared the system like an artery. Just the blood just. Oh, 
and just after that, then my son started my relationship with my son got off on a slightly different basis. And about two weeks later, he held my hand on the way into school, and he doesn't even do that with his mummy. She says, and I told her this was going to happen. I said, "Wait, you see this over the next couple of weeks? I've just had seen something." And that's when she said, "What was that book you were reading?" <laughs> Um, so that's really really powerful stuff that's very special yeah uh, um, and, but that's taking responsibility for your own shortcomings mm. and saying do you know what I want to get better and look I'm very blessed I have lots of people um, work for me they're working away at the minute whilst we sit and have this nice chat mm-hmm. etc and then I go off and uh, flip and get into all sorts of stuff with Andrew Cuthbert and they're out in the wall group um, working in the spars and the subways and all the rest of it I could say, do you know what? I've achieved it. Mm. But I say, do you know what? No, I've a long, long way to go, both personally and in my business. And I want to keep getting better mm. and better. You mentioned there a short while ago about being lucky mm-hmm. to have your wife and your kids and yeah. so on. Where does luck play in it for you? Yeah, you, you know, that's, I, I say that when... You know, comparison is is the the thief um, of sort of joy. But I say that because I know I I believe. All right, so I didn't drink that weekend. I met her. That's mm-hmm. I met her just at the right time. Um, I've done the hard work. I gave up drink at thirty seven. I wouldn't have got through the crash personally. Um, I don't believe without that. So I do the work just in time mm-hmm. to help myself. Um, I use the word blessed maybe sometimes rather than luck. It's probably not luck. I probably do actually maybe I push away the, the success a wee bit sometimes. Mm. Uh, maybe that's why I use luck. Maybe I don't like people thinking that I think that I have achieved it on my own. Mm. Or I just feel blessed. I don't know. I feel blessed. Mm. Who's there are the significant people in your life? Um, so my wife, wife and my kids. Um, pretty close with my mum, mm. um, my brother and my sister, or my two brothers and sisters. But I would say the ones that have really been the bedrock are my wife and my kids. Mm. Um, over the last decade, mm. they've been the biggest influence on me, and hopefully me on them. Mm. Do you, I mean what? What's your pattern? What drives you day to day? I mean. When's enough going to be enough? Is there enough? Is that the way you measure it? You see, it depends on what you're measuring. So, um, if you're measuring it in, so I can, I can tell you what the, the goal is. The, the goal is to have a, an impact worldwide, mm-hmm. right? The goal is to be the most successful um, entrepreneur in Northern Ireland. I'm perfectly happy to be number two to Andrew Cuthbert. <laughs> okay, um, but that's what the goal is now. What's success? The success is the ability then to make a difference to mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. I am not money driven. I take one holiday. I took my first ever holiday for ten days last year. It's the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Andrew doesn't even take that. So it's not that I'm off now. When I was a barrister, and mm-hmm. it was more like a money thing or something like that. Sure. Um, I used to go on nice holidays. Used to drive in a Porsche nine eleven, all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now I drive a wee electric car. Um, and I'm happy with that. I don't have flash holidays, don't spend lots of money, etc. The difference is to actually be able to make a difference. Okay. Right? The ability to say, I've helped 
the ecosystem in Northern Ireland. I want Northern Ireland to be back like it was in the Industrial Revolution, building the ships. I know some of the big ones sank, but you know, <laughs> being at the head of the Industrial Revolution or Linenopolis, as we used to be called, I want to help Northern Ireland get back to that sort of level. Mm. And I want to have a massive funeral, right? I know I'll not be at it. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to do a podcast for okay. my funeral. I've just came to me when I was at a funeral recently. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to do the eulogy bit that somebody else does. I'm going to do mm-hmm. my own. <laughs> so it's cocky, but um, I, I want to have had made an impact to so many people mm-hmm. and to have helped change Northern Ireland for the better and to have driven so much value um, into job creation, into intellectual property. You know, Andrew's the, the main one on that, but they've made such a difference mm. that there are loads of people saying, I want to make a difference. Is that ego? It might be, yeah. yeah if, you, if you really think about it, mm. yeah, there's ego in there. Ego can be good and bad. I mean, yeah. It's, it's not a, it's yeah, not no, but it's for, if it's done for the right reasons, mm. um, there's definitely, and there was something, I was analysing something actually the other day, and I said, yeah, it was a recent business decision that I think I maybe got wrong. Okay. And I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And I said, you know what? That was ego. That made me get that wrong. So um, there's ego in there, yes. You have to be honest with yourself mm. and say, if you want to create something, uh, even if it's not for yourself. So if you take Mother Teresa, I bet you there was a big ego. But mm. the means to actually satisfy that, mm. maybe it's controversial, I don't know, but the means to satisfy that was actually to create so much good for a lot of other people mm. that made her feel good. Mm. Or the greatest leaders, they must, they must have, there must be ego, I think, that drives that. Um, but there's different ways it can be good or, good or bad. Mm. If it's to create abundance for as many people as possible and the outcome is good even if there's a wee bit of ego in driving it on but i'm good uh, yeah Mm. talk to me no no it's um so whilst i accept there's ego in there i believe or i hope anyway you'll have to ask people that i help on their journey Mm. is that you know, for instance, I genuinely say I have people working for me, like Kieran Meehan, for instance. He is a better manager than I am. Mm-hmm. Like I try and employ, I have got better accountants. I try and employ and bring the best people I possibly can, and I give them their credit for doing the brilliant work that they do. I don't want to take the glory. Mm-hmm. If people say, "Look, there's a lot of stuff created," Gavin Wall helped create it. That's great, mm-hmm. but everybody has to do their bit. Sure. You know, and it's their achievement, not not mine. Mm. Probably has a bit of ego in there. All right, you've got me. (laughs) (laughs) Would you say you're um, you understood? I'm understood. Are you? It's a question. Um, I don't know. What's your perception? I don't know. It's uh, I. This is. Um, you're getting to some interesting questions here because. Um, my public persona. Your, your body language is I know, quite interesting. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, and uh, Andrew's just come into the building over there on the left because, <laughs> right, okay, if you take my public persona and the speed mentor stuff, etc., right, mm-hmm. and larger than life, I, I am in a way, but that stuff, I build that stuff up, right? Sure. 
so that I can be a lightning rod for if you listen to my podcast, I've got Walrus Island and I've got Dickhead Island, okay? <laughs> so I build that up and I become then the lightning rod for the people who don't want other people to have success, mm. right? And I'll take, I build, you know, and take me on because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to clear the decks for other people to start mm. believing in themselves. And I think if you look at the ecosystem, some of the stuff that's going on in Northern Ireland at the minute, there's definitely been rumours being created by me saying, yeah, I'm the fucking ego, come and get me. Mm. And people attack me, and that has let other people then say, fuck, Gavin's still standing after all that. Mm. Do you know what? Just because everybody doesn't like you, or because your particular message um, doesn't fit the wee narrow sort of silos that mm. the society says, well, Gavin's still standing at the end of all of that. Mm. You know, if you look at them, um, oh, this is ego, this is, there's part ego, part. <laughs> <laughs> so if you look at the avatars or people's profiles, pics or anything that's sort of Northern Ireland, you know, I've been doing that for quite a while now. And other people are now mm. able to express themselves um, in theirs, sort of just as an example, I did a hedge, you know, they feel confident enough. You look, go back a few years and you say, you know, we all have to be, you know, there's a picture from our mm. wedding or something like that. Um, there's all sorts of people are saying do you know what mm. and most of them haven't been mentored by me I haven't received anything from them I'm absolutely delighted to support them sure. and if there's flipping 100 gallon walls I have to compete with do you remember I said at school I was maybe afraid of competing mm. um, on that and I wanted to be the best person at exams who did no work rather mm. than being the best I'll take it on now, now I'm a wee bit more confident in myself I'll actually try and compete mm. but support at the same time Perfect. So I think. I don't, I don't mm. Are you are you at your potential? Do you think? Oh, there's loads. There's loads more potential. Mm. I actually had um, imposter syndrome for the first time ever at the tail end of 2019. Mm. There's new stuff that we're doing on venture capital and startup. It's so outside my comfort zone. Mm. I also switched to vegan diet and didn't supplement with B12, which was really playing with my uh, mm. energy levels, but. I had a lot of imposter syndrome. The stuff I'm learning at the minute, mm. it's actually a pity that I'm not mentoring. Now, I'm going to be mentoring within the startups that we um, that we support within the change. Sure. But I have learned that the amount of stuff I've learned sort of in the last year um, from startups and from Andrew Cuthbert and from other people that I'm meeting. Um, in fact, if we go, a guy called John Napton um, down in Catalyst, Mm -hmm. he's one of the main guys down there we have one of our startups is on us and like you're going into those sessions and you're just soaking it up like a sponge because you're mm -hmm. being exposed to new ideas about how you look at a, a business cycle or how you look at a business plan sure. so in terms of potential look we're trying to raise 10 million quid for the change we want to create 10 billion in 10 years I'm I'm about that far on my journey mm. in comparison to what we're trying to achieve so no loads more to come loads absolutely loads mm. if I thought I was at my potential mm. now mm. there's no possibility I will get to to that journey successfully no possibility do you see yourself retiring? no oh you die, you die mm. in the middle of a deal your best deal ever <laughs> you're doing your, your best deal ever my dad was hard at 57 mm. like it's that freaks blows my mind I feel mm. I'm only getting going 
Uh, I was thinking the other day, I have a wee post coming, I think, about all the things I did, I've done since I was 45 for the first time. Mm. You know, um, definitely not retiring. No way. No way. You, you, you become, so I've done a lot of heavy lifting. Mm. So that's seven years sacrificing all that stuff I've done in the wall group, building up our businesses, um, you know, from one spar store to second to third to fourth to, f mm. to a subway to second, third, fourth, subways, Yogi Berry, all, the, all of that stuff that I did. Um, that was all heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. I tell you my theory. Mm -hmm. and I, I got this from Andrew Cuthbert. It was a moment of clarity that I'll never, it was one that you've heard there were a few different points of clarity and I remembered in a wee coffee shop in Hollywood and Andrew says to me, it's all about creating value with the power of the mind. Mm. It just went, that's, that's true. Mm. I've done a lot of heavy lifting. Sure. I'm not saying, but the lifting that you do with your mind creates more value than the physical stuff that you do out there in the world. And even though I was adding a lot of value to people's journeys, sure. actually sitting and taking the time to analyze a business, doing design sprints that Andrew would do, strategic um, design sprints, etc. Mm. That can actually take a business on six months. Mm. If you take a whole day, bring a couple of experts in, sit down and say, right, where are we? A wee bit like I do with the mentoring, sure. but in, in a, uh, a more structured way. Mm -hmm. So with that sort of knowledge on board, well, hopefully we can, mm. we can achieve what we've set out to achieve. I never got to experience your mentoring. Yes. Unfortunately, through logistics and one thing or another. Yeah, you came, you came to the um, uh, uh, developing non-stoppable mindset event. Mm -hmm. and you'll, yeah. I'm sure you'll not forget when I came in. <laughs> so, it was certainly uh, the first of many. And actually, the lady that was sitting next to me was the lady, um, Victoria. Um, oh, yeah, Vicky McMahon. Yes. Vicky McMahon. And even just seeing her. So, uh, mm -hmm. obviously, I'm, I'm sort of aware of yourself even yeah. from before then. But... The Vicky I spoke to that night, mm -hmm. by pure coincidence, sitting mm -hmm. beside her. Mm -hmm. So even the Vicky today and the yeah. posts she's putting out, it's, mm -hmm. it's unrecognizable, I think, is a, is a fair... Yeah. So funny, we're a year on from my first speed mentor retreat when I took a dozen, mm. um, a dozen people looking for growth mm. away for a weekend retreat. So it was actually January of last year was actually the first time I did that. And that was the start of my sort of really starting to scale up the mentorship side of it. Mm. We took a dozen people. I'm not telling you, or I'm not joking you, the development of, of those 12 people in the 12 mm. months of all contacted me this January. It would it blow your mind. I said, mm. the, power, the power of that mm. is in, incredible. Diane Kapluski, mm -hmm. um, I'm still mentoring um, Diane. Um, some of the stuff, she set a gorilla goal. Mm during that and this is the power of the, the stuff for anybody who's watching or you know yeah. looking to be inspired she set a gorilla goal during that um uh, weekend and i said that's not big enough mm -hmm. there's no way that can be achieved i've been working on this for two years can't be achieved i said that's because you're going about it all the wrong way <sighs> it needs to be bigger there can't be any bigger this is the gorilla goal this is the thing that changed my life and it was to get hooked up with the number one person in the whole world in her space she was about I don't think she'll mind me saying this I think she was about to fly to because um, we've talked about it um, before about to fly to Jaipur actually mm. anyway but I'll cut it short we delivered it in six days she mm. said at that event that weekend it could not be done 
she'd been working out for two years mm. and did it in six days after the event her biggest goal she could think of was delivered and she's gone on to amaze she's absolutely unbelievable she was an unbelievable person before she met me sure. she saw me spoke at an event the previous summer um, and then she signed, she was the last person to sign up to the um, Speed Mentor Retreat she said, oh, flip, that's the guy I saw speaking. That would be really interesting. Mm. She just needed to, it was like a plug hole block with hair and all. She just needed somebody to, to dip in and lift out <laughs> the flipping hair. Do you know I what I mean? I don't know if she's going to thank you for that. Know, but just to lift the hair. But do you mean, mm. all of it was there. Yeah. There's so many people, all of it was there. It's just somebody needs to give them the courage sometimes. Sure. Or just tweak it um, to let them go to the next level. Mm. Which is quite a skill. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, 100%, and I hope and believe that I won't regret this um, because I believe that I do have a pretty special skill at that. Mm. Um, just because I have a lot of empathy and I think a lot about emotion, etc. I say sometimes Andrew has the IQ, I have the EQ. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of that. Um, and hopefully that will be evidenced in our journey on the change mm. because I am leaving something, you know, and Andrew's got other massive things with two other people who are in the change with us as well who are, are brilliant people, Colin Hutchinson and Laura Bond. Um, but we're plugging our creative abilities and our structural and our drive into um, this venture capital stuff. Mm. And sometimes I do think... Uh, Maybe that was the one that I, I will regret or not doing, but I had two choices. Hmm. I'm going to change the world with Andrew. You, are you spiritual? I wish you didn't ask me that. Okay. I'm covering up. Yeah, I, 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 I am. I say spiritual. Yes, I'll, I'll say spiritual. Religion stuff like that. It's a difficult thing to talk about in Northern Ireland, as you as you know. And um, the, the, it's different. It's a different yeah, thing. So if I put it into perspective, it's, you mentioned emotional, yeah, and you mentioned energy, and you mentioned abundance, which are some yeah, key, I, key I am, and that that side of me has been has been getting stronger the last mm. um, couple of years. Yes, yeah, I would have said if you ask me, um, I've never been an atheist. I know there's a difference between spirituality uh, mm. and God, etc. But they are closely linked as well. So sure. I've never been. I've always been open. Yeah. Uh, when I was a teenager, I actually used to go uh, to different churches. Okay. It's a weird thing that Andrew bizarrely has had done as well. So, um, uh, so we've two main faiths, sort of in Northern Ireland, as it were. But I used to go to different churches just on different days of the week and just get a wee bit of spirituality is a wee bit of a weird thing but um so i've always had an interest mm. on what's out there mm. and what might be out there um or what's inside us mm. um and so yes and that's getting stronger in the last few years when are you when are you at your best what's your peak performance or state that you get to At the minute, it's interestingly, at the minute, it's a wee bit crimped. Okay. Or it certainly was when I was going through the, the piece with no B12. And then just because there's so much the, the intensity that we're under at the minute, mm. 
I do love trying to show other people what they can achieve, but the intensity of what we're doing at the minute, because it's all so new to me, mm-hmm. is probably, I'm not at my best at the minute. Mm-hmm. It's coming back a wee bit better. Okay. Okay. Um, at the minute, I'm, I'm not at my best, I don't think, because the load that we have to find all these startups, mm. to get the funds in place, to um, back them, to get the FCA compliance, mm. to try and drill a friggin' hole through the roadblock that Northern Ireland sometimes is around new um, ways to do things. Sure. Now, in Northern Ireland, we don't do it this way. <laughs> well, that's what their problem is. Mm. Um, so all of that, the intensity to deliver all of that mm. is pretty heavy burden at the minute. Sure. So I'm not just at my best at the minute, mm. but Andrew's dragging me through it. Um, and whenever we get over some of these hurdles and we're up and running, mm. the, the best of me will be back. But the ability to never give up mm. and to dig in, sure. even when I was getting my um, imposter syndrome at the tail end of last year, you know, that's a strong sure. bit of me. But I like to be able to show people, what, you know, mm. our evidence leadership. And I don't know that I have enough of that in me at the minute because of the pressures but even that that inversion of energy mm-hmm. is quite a quite a strength i would put mm-hmm. across and say mm-hmm. um you know to take something that is negative and you, you inferred on it slightly earlier but to take a negative energy and to actually to use it to your yeah i have a podcast episode called um everything is energy mm. and um it's how you then transmute sort of that energy mm. so you can be getting a lot of negative energy and if you know how to work things so it's just take it like a customer complaint even mm. and this energy boom you know i mean i i know from running spa stores mm. that no customer will ever go out of that shop unsatisfied mm. Because no matter what energy they come in with, and I preach this for people that if they ever want to get in life, no matter what energy they come in with, if you have the if you have the ability to just change that, mm-hmm. um, or even take your own negative energy and actually turn a positive, such that it's just to never give up. So let's let's take an example. Now this is the one on a customer, if you negative customer, mm. and but if you've always just given it. Okay, what can I do for you, etc., etc. They'll always go away happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I had thought of a wee example there f- um, for you. Um, that's just gone right out of my head. Right, so this, so if you're under pressure, okay, mm-hmm. and you're feeling negative, right, I have that down to such a T that I know that that is just a test, mm-hmm. right, and that to get through that that day when you mightn't be at your best, when you're feeling under pressure, if you just get to the next day, sure. you have a sleep on it, you put a little bit in place, mm. you never give up, the next day it feels like you've achieved something mm. and you've turned that negative energy from the day before into positive energy the next day. don't know if I've explained that very well, but mm. um, it's all energy and it's, it's how you then change it from negative to positive. Wow. So you're on a trajectory that you're. So I've been going through tough stuff. I yeah, mm-hmm. and I have been going through tough stuff, um, but that's that's part of the process. Mm. You cannot go into something completely new and expect to know all about it. Mm. Um, P 
people on you, you asked me earlier on actually about what's my perception of other people's perception of me mm. and no one ever really answer that so people say I know there are people going fucking Gavin Wall he, he's dickhead he thinks he's just walking into venture capital or the startup world and he thinks he's Billy Big Balls and he just walks in and that's the way that he does stuff mm-hmm. and they, he's just pivot out of something else and all he is he's just a shopkeeper Right, I know because I I see their messages and um, what they say about me, etc. Um, but what they don't really know is that that may be their perception of me, but that's not what I'm like. Mm. So I'm in um, listening to, so I'm listening to less personal development stuff at the minute because mm. I'm listening to stuff about venture capital, about startups, podcasts, books, listening to the people that I go to when John Napton talks down at Catalyst, I'm taking notes, mm-hmm. right? Because I know that I don't know it. Mm-hmm. It might be a wee bit of a peacock walking in, but trust me, underneath it, I'm flipping, taking the notes and trying to learn because I want to learn it. Sure. The people who are maybe throwing the darts at me or maybe the people who haven't had as much success as they think they should have had mm-hmm. because they're not prepared to do the work that I'm prepared to do. Sure. What's the most disappointing thing that could happen? Oh, jeez. Right, lose other people's money. That's easy. Okay. That's easy. Now I know in the investment world that's that happens, but that would be the number one um, Mm. most disappointing thing that could happen rather than venture capital Mm. firm. That would be tough. My own money, that's fine. Mm -hmm. If I want to lose it or make a decision, that's Mm. fine. I'm not planning on it, but don't know if that's a good answer, but is there. We've covered a lot of ground. We've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> so to simplify it down and, and then sort of come back again, fire in the belly view in one or a few words, what do you perceive it to be? So the fire in the belly at the minute um, is... Like I'm just locked. Do you know what? It's going to sound weak, but it's to create 10 billion of value in 10 years. From a ten million acorn, that that's it. Okay. That's that's what I'm living outside of the family. Mm-hmm. That's just it, and that's every day. Are you getting a step closer to it? Mm. So some days, this is a slightly different journey for me this time because mm. I'm in a, a partnership with four people, but the person I work day and day mm. is Andrew. So on the partnership, there'll be days that maybe he's taking some hits and it's affecting him more. Or there'll be days that maybe it's the other way around. Mm. And every day I just say, we're one, look, we're a day closer. We're a day closer sure. to our outcome. So that, that, that's, that's the goal. Mm. Um, and that's not 10 billion for us. Mm. That's 10 billion in value to the ecosystem. Mm. So they will be founders um, who might have gone with another VC and it was, might, have been, might not have worked. Mm-hmm. We're making a difference to their lives. So we have to create 10 companies that are mm. worth 10 billion. Right, so that's lots of other people. So sure. when I say that, people might hear ten billion. He thinks he's going. To be. That's yeah. not. That's not about it. Yeah. If we create ten billion of value to the ecosystem, mm. you know, we don't have to worry about money. That's well yeah. down our pick. That's what we're trying to do. Create that. Mm. Fair play. 
Gavin, it's been an absolute pleasure. Okay. Thank you very much. I'm for sure, we've gone way over time there. <laughs> God knows what you took me to some places there. Um, I did say you did ask me at the start, can I talk about anything? And um, you, you certainly got into a few wee nooks and crannies there um, that maybe I wasn't expecting. I did quite a bit of self reflecting there. I hope it didn't bore anybody. But listen, I everyone's journey is personal yeah you know what floats your boat mm-hmm. different to mine and vice yeah. versa which is fine mm-hmm. and that's the thing there's no right or wrong answers mm-hmm. and i i like you i believe we mm-hmm. are all capable of more than we could ever receive oh, geez, money. Yeah. you know so here's to the future yeah. okay yep. good man thank, thank you very, very much. much okay folks Appreciate see you later it. well that was another great episode of fire in the belly you know, this really wouldn't be possible without our great guests taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.